Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're talking about deferred compensation. We're going to do Deferred Comp 101, talk about what it is, talk about some planning opportunities, and we're also going to talk about some mistakes that we see people make when it comes to deferred compensation. But Justin, I feel like a good place to start this week before we get into some of the mechanics and operation and minutia like you and I love to do. Let's take a step back and just paint the picture for our listeners. Like, why does deferred comp deserve an episode on the FPOG podcast? Great question. A lot of companies don't have deferred comp. And if your company does have deferred comp, a lot of uh, professionals at, you know, pick a company that has a, let's say, Phillips 66. Most Phillips 66 employees do not have access to the deferred comp plan. So we realize that deferred comp is not necessarily something that is uh, going to be present for a, a ton of people. But why does it matter? A few things. Deferred comp can have a huge impact on lowering your lifetime tax rate. So we'll get into that a little bit. But uh, deferred comp has a, a huge advantage of being able to take compensation in high income years. When you are in the highest tax bracket, you're going to be in most likely in your entire life. Take that comp don't uh, realize it as income in the years when you're in those high tax brackets and you're able to defer it, just like it says, into years when you are not nearly in as high of a tax bracket. So I think we need to talk about it because it has a huge um, opportunity to lower your lifetime tax rate. It's also interesting because uh, it it impacts two different uh, tax brackets, regular income tax, as well as uh, FICA payroll tax. There's some nuance to understand there. And I also think it's it's interesting just because when you think about financial planning and, and kind of mapping out your timeline of, of retirement investments, income, taxes, deferred comp plays a really big role. Uh, last reason I'd want to cover it is if you happen to listen to our podcast and you have any sort of a, a position in your company where you get to uh, influence um, benefits, deferred comp is something to consider. A deferred comp plan can be a huge asset if you don't have it currently. And so it's something worth looking into. And hopefully this episode lays the groundwork to help you understand it a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. So it gets back to this really important idea in the Azure Brownlee Wealth Management that is optimizing your lifetime tax rate, right? So this helps us do that. So we're super excited about that. That being said, let's dive into the details. So Justin, like you said, Deferred compensation plans, they're they're uh, non-qualified, so it's a completely different than a 401k type plan. Uh, and it's generally available to certain ranks of employees. And each company, so in this episode, we'll speak to some generalities and we'll talk about Phillips 66 uh, deferred compensation plan, but there's some rules that are applied unilaterally across, across all deferred compensation plans. And there are some where individual employers will have their own autonomy. So a great way to think about it, it's exactly identical to 401ks where there's 401ks rules that apply unilaterally to everyone. And then there are some, you know, customization of investment options, vesting dates where 
individual employers will have certain autonomy over that. One thing I would add to that, just like the 401k plan, 401ks are legally obligated to get a new proposal every three years, I believe. They have a, a an obligation legally to get a proposal from different companies to change their 401k plan. So I bring that up to say deferred comp isn't entirely different in the sense that uh, we're going to talk about strategies, financial planning opportunities. However, your deferred comp plan looks today, uh, there is always a potential that, that different benefits and perks within plans can be added. So it's helpful to discuss a lot of these things. Just like in a 401k, you may not have a backdoor Roth option today, but two years from now, you absolutely may. Yeah. And, you know, touching on the financial planning trends episode from a couple of times ago, right? Compensation is changing. Pensions are going away, but things like this where the, the company's not as much responsible for the contribution, but it's you know an additional tax advantage way for employees to save. I, I, I definitely see something like this increasing in popularity. Just from a, like an operations perspective, so the piece of there's a piece of legislation that governs it. These, I think it's IRC 409A, so it's called a 409A deferred compensation plan. So you can look that up and peruse at your leisure. We have a bunch of engineering clients, so I know some of you are going to take me up on that. And I love that. Uh, 457 plan is also a type of deferred comp plan, but that's for nonprofit professionals. It's it's kind of similar. It's oversimplification to say this, but it's kind of similar to how 403B versus a 401k. A lot of the fundamentals are identical, but just because it's related to nonprofit or federal employees or state employees, there's just some different wrinkles, but they're more similar than they are different. So Justin talked about this a little bit, but from a taxation perspective, FICA taxes are usually paid when the compensation is earned. So, you know, if you think about high level, what happens with deferred compensation, you are essentially deferring compensation that you don't need to pay out into the future. And we'll talk about the payout schedule later. But when you perform those services and are compensated for those services, you still pay FICA taxes related to that. But from an income tax perspective, typically you don't pay income taxes on those wages until you receive them at a later date. Justin, would you say that's a pro or a con of of the plan? I would say it's a big pro. I do think it's logical. It makes sense. Uh, FICA payroll taxes are earned income, right? So if you are 65 and you're taking income from a IRA, that is income and it's taxable, but it is not earned income. So you don't pay any social security. You don't pay any... Uh, Medicare tax on that. So FICA payroll taxes are not present in IRA distributions, but in earned income, they are. So it makes sense that all of your FICA would be taken care of uh, when you earn the benefit. So let's pretend that you're earning you know, your income and your deferred comp benefit this year, but your deferred comp is not going to pay out for 10 years. So let's use that as an example. Your payroll taxes for both uh, this year and 10 years from now, when your deferred comp is paid out, your payroll taxes typically are, are going to be taken care of all this year. And real quick, why is that a benefit? Uh, payroll taxes have two components, Social Security and Medicare. So Social Security, you're paying 6% and change. Medicare, you're paying about 1.45%. Your company has to also pay those same amounts for you. So it's really double that. But Social Security, you are not taxed on uh, payroll FICA Social Security's part once you hit about 140000 in annual income. It goes up every year by a, a couple thousand. 
So if you're making, you know, if you're in deferred comp, your income is usually very high. Deferred comp is typically more of an executive comp benefit. So you might be making 700,000 a year. And let's say you're deferring 200,000 of that 700. Huge benefit to have payroll taken care of because whether you make 150,000 a year or 150 million a year, your social security tax is the exact same. Uh, you're taxed on the first 140,000 in earned income, and then you don't pay any more social security tax thereafter. So it's great that it's all taken care of then, because if it weren't, it would effectively double uh, your social security tax, which would end up being almost $10,000 every year. Um, so it's pretty nice that you get the FICA payroll tax taken care of before it pays out as a benefit. Yeah. Historically, I've seen deferred comp plans introduced as a you know income tax savings opportunity, but the FICA is definitely understated, right? Because to repeat what you said, the contribution is capped. So any wages above and beyond that don't incrementally increase you know your liability related to that tax at uh, an asterisk as the tax code exists today, right? So you know by getting to load the income up from a FICA perspective in those years and not have it in future years, you know you're getting to avoid that that double payment. But you know, I I definitely think that is something that you you'll want to keep keep an eye on because FICA, Social Security withholding, there's a lot of pressure and energy I would say in Washington to just continue to raise those. So that's something we'll continue to watch. But I definitely think you know in the interim, it's great great opportunity. So. Next, I want to talk about, you talked about, you gave a great example, Justin, of timing. So so you can choose to defer, defer compensation, and there's really a few, several different ways you can do that. So there's a few different payout options. So you can choose uh, most deferred compensation plans, and I know Philip 66 is this way. You can choose any period up until 20 years from when you separate from the company. So pretty much the entire account has to be depleted. I think that's a, a unilateral rule ac- across plans, but you know, pretty much you can't have it go out to new infinity. You can't have a 50-year annuity payout of wages and basically make make nothing in W2 along the way, right? There is there is a cap there. But you you have a lot of autonomy. You can pick what's called an in-service uh, or a date certain to use uh, Philip 66 vernacular where you can pick the actual date that it pays out. So instead of saying, hey, 10 years from when I separate from the company, you could say, hey, I want this deferred salary to be paid out in year 2025. And we've seen people use that for one-time expenses. Hey, I, I, I want to you know, use deferred comp for college funding instead of a 529 plan. So that's a common application of that. But another application is you can choose a lump sum after separation upon separation for the company, or you could do an annuity like Justin said. So in Phillips 66 case, you could do one to 15 years. And to make it a, a layer further, you can pick the interval at which you're paid. So you could say, I want 15 annual installments. I want 30 semi-annual installments. I want 60 quarterly annual installments. So the, so the duration is, uh, is still the same amount, but it's just the interval in which you're being paid fluctuates a little bit. So you have a lot of different autonomy in terms of how you take these payouts. And and right, we'll talk about this a little bit in the planning section, but there's kind of two competing principles, right, when it comes to planning opportunities. There's the credit risk of the company and then, you know, optimizing the income tax. And we'll talk about that a little later, but before before we get into that, we'll talk a little more laying the groundwork from the deferred compensation with this plan, you are really an unsecured creditor, right? At the end of the day, like 
typically companies will segregate assets and kind of earmark assets in their book to pay this unfunded liability to the company, the deferred comp plan. But you're essentially a debt holder, right? If, if there's if there's a bankruptcy, you're waiting in line like everybody else. So that's an important nuance, right? Like if you think about 401k assets, like those are custodied somewhere else, not subject to the credit worthiness of the company that employs the plan. So, you know, you are taking credit risk with the company. And of course, there's there's things they do to manage it, right? Like having a pool of assets to kind of cover that future unfunded liability uh, and different things you can do. But but at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, it's an unfunded liability. In a bankruptcy court, like there's a lack of clarity there. So so it's not, there's no free lunch, right? So there is some risk and we could talk about ways to mitigate and manage that. But it's important to understand the intricacy of where you stand in terms of the pecking order in the event that things uh, go south from an asset perspective. Yeah, really interesting topic. Uh, it's kind of similar, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are going to be familiar with the Oxy merger with Anadarko or acquisition, really. So I were, and, and this really isn't a concern as much today necessarily, but I remember two years ago that a lot of Oxy employees were, were asking the question, is my pension safe? I have this pension benefit. It's now a uh, basically an obligation of Oxy to pay these pensions out over the next several you know, years. But what if Oxy goes bankrupt? And, and that, was, that was a real concern of, of hey, this is a, a huge part of my family's balance sheet. It's a huge asset. And then what if something happens? So important to think about uh, pensions, deferred comp in that sense. And my goodness, especially deferred comp is just at a completely different pecking order. Um, if a company goes through bankruptcy and they have to pay all their creditors, uh, you're going to have different pecking order based on what exactly, what type of creditor are you? And so a deferred comp creditor is, is a little bit lower down on the list. Uh, and that's also why, you know, if we zoom out and we, we talk about, you know, finance 101, what is a stock? What is a bond? That's why stocks are typically riskier. And that's why, why bonds are less risky, have more volatility. If a company goes bankrupt, a bondholder is going to get paid back. They're going to get some money way faster than a shareholder will. And so that's, uh, that's a lot of what goes on there. But it's important to bring up this topic when you think about deferred comp because, Jared, what if you're 40 years old and you're doing extremely well in your career and you get afforded the opportunity to uh, participate in deferred comp? Well, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, so, right, there's... You're, the credit risk you're taking on a company is you're having to make an election for this compensation, right? So if you plan to work for 10 years, but you want to optimize the income tax savings and do a 15-year installment, you're essentially taking 25 years of credit risk, right? And 25 years of credit risk on even the even on a company like Apple, that's that's substantial, right? Like I don't I don't know what the number is, but you know I know Sears was still in business in the in the early nineties, right. Which would have, which is the equivalent of, you know, 30 years ago today. Right. So like the world can just change drastically and anyone, you know, in oil and gas knows the cyclicality of the profession. So, you know, if, if you plan to be at an oil and gas company for a while, that's great, but you need to incorporate the time you're employed and the separation in terms of when you're thinking about your cumulative credit risk, right? So this is not, this is not a risk-free asset. This is not a free lunch. Um, but it's, that's, you know, that's one of the mistakes and we'll talk more about that and how to mitigate that. But that's, you know, thoughtful m 
prudent risk management is is 101 and, and deferred comp while an income tax opportunity also you know isn't risk free so we need to cover this while you were talking i just looked up the fortune 100 us company list from 1998 so this is less than 25 years ago and just as you can imagine there are some names on this list that are not functioning businesses today and it's not just enron there are several companies on this list that you would not want to be a creditor of. So uh, let's let's really dumb it down and quickly say, what are we talking about here? If you have deferred comp and you're not going to have it pay out for another 15 years, and then it's going to pay out for 10 or 15 years, you've got to ask the question, is my company going to be solvent for the next three decades? You've got to ask that question. And, you know, that's a, I mean... Pretty much no one can answer that question. So you have to make an educated bet and just know what the risk and return profile is, right? And so we'll talk about some financial planning strategies to mitigate it. But yeah, I love, love you looking at the Fortune 100. Okay, so a couple more mechanical things. So period, you could take it up to 15 years, kind of determine the frequency quarterly, annually. What type of income can you defer? So this is this varies by plan, but in like Philip 66, for example, you could defer some salary. You can also defer some equity compensation. So restricted stock units, restricted stock, uh, restricted stock and RSUs. You can defer those as well, which is kind of unique. And we'll talk later on about from a planning perspective, does that is that is, is it better or worse to to defer one or the other? But mechanically, there are different types of compensation you can defer. In Walmart, for example, you can defer the their bonus as well. And typically, it's an annual election you make. So for each each of the compensations, so you really can build a really robust matrix of a, a ton of different payouts uh, that kind of course correct and consider all the various outcomes from a planning perspective. So. Eligible comp, we've talked about deferral timing, uh, deferral taxes. Let's talk about changes. So the last thing we'll get into before we start to get really practical with planning opportunities and mistakes. So one wrinkle is you can make change elections to your comp, to your payout. So a, a great example of this is you have a lump sum and you want to change it to a five-year payout. Uh, Philip 66 has this. You can, you can change it, but for the deferred compensation uh, election, the change election to become active, it must be in place for 12 months. So if you made a change election today and said, hey, I want to make a change election, I want to go from a lump sum payout to a 10-year annuity that's going to pay out quarterly. They'll say, okay, great. And then you'll have to wait a year till that election, that change election becomes valid. But to add another wrinkle, there's a so it takes a year from when you make an election for it to become official, and then there's what's called a five year delay. So you have to delay the payout at least five years. So if you said, "Hey, I wanted to make a change election," you'd have to wait a year, and then it wouldn't just go from a, a, a lump sum to a payment in years one through five following separation. It would be years six through ten. So in addition to having to wait a year for that election to become memorialized, you have to delay it five years. And whether or not that's an asset or a liability, we'll talk a bit, little bit about in the planning section and kind of the opportunities, but really some high level from a mechanics perspective, those are all of the ingredients and things that that we're thinking about. And that's really 101. And we could probably go a layer deeper in all of those, but just really painting in broad strokes what's going on with deferred comp and how we think about it before we get into some of the planning opportunities and pitfalls. Justin, you have anything you'd add to that? 
I don't think so. I'm excited to talk about some of the planning opportunities. Okay, great. So um, another nuance here, and this is a planning opportunity related to this. So it's kind of a mechanical thing too. Some deferred compensation plans have investment options, right? And so this is an interesting way to accumulate with a tax deferral, right? Because you don't pay income tax on on the income until it's paid out, right? If you can invest uh, some of those underlying deferred comp balances into investments, that's a great way to have some tax deferred growth that's not taxable until you're in a lower tax bracket because you've separated from the company. Unless, of course, you take another job, which is another another consideration related to all this, right? But that's a really exciting thing. You'll definitely want to look at your investment plan options. One one that comes to mind that's really interesting is Walmart kind of has a fixed benefit. It kind of serves like an income benefit, and uh, it's pegged to the 10-year treasury, but it pays additional interest above and beyond that. Historically, it's been about 2.7%. So, you know, in Walmart's case, if if you're retiring you can invest in a fixed income like product to essentially take Walmart credit risk and then get 270 basis points, 2.7% above the 10 year interest rate. And so, and the 10 year interest rate moves up as interest rates move up. So it's like a floating interest rate. So that's a really interesting and compelling investment profile, but right, you know, to our oil and gas audience, it's really to see that and idealize, but oh, that's great. But Walmart has a very different risk profile than an oil and gas company, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean just because it's a really good investment opportunity that you just want to have duration forever. So look at your investment options because there's a really great way to kind of accumulate assets on a on a tax deferred basis. And we've seen some interesting plan specific things where the you know the computation of the interest is is really compelling relative to what you can get on the market. Absolutely. Um, and I think when we talk about planning opportunities, first and foremost, let's just talk about income tax. That's the big one. And the reason why it's such a huge deal with, with lowering your lifetime tax rate, again, you're probably getting deferred comp if you're already making a really substantial income. So let's say your income is seven or 800000 a year. Well, Jared, when do tax brackets really hike up? Into, into high rates today. Yeah, like in the 300s, 400 ranges when there's a lot of higher rates. And I would say the higher percentage increase of rates, right? Like 100, there, there's a lot of brackets where it's 10%, 12%, okay, 20, 22. And then the top marginal bracket goes all the way up to 39. And, and that movement up to 39 happens really fast. So those high brackets really kind of move up uh, as a percentage of I- increase. Yes. So once you're and let's say you're married filing joint, you've got to make more than three hundred fifty-five thousand a year to actually pay a thirty-two percent tax rate. So you're still in the twenty-four percent tax rate with a standard deduction if your total income is three fifty as a family. So again, if uh, you're making over four hundred thousand a year, you're going to be in some high tax brackets. But let's say that you're making seven hundred. It's really compelling to defer. Um, a chunk of your income because what's the use in, in having more income now if you're going to pay 35% now, but five or 10 years from now, your average tax rate might only be 15%. So very, very possible that, you know, let's, let's use a 10-year example that you're going to put money into a deferred comp plan for 10 years. And let's say you're going to put 200000 a year in just to oversimplify it. Well, that's $2 million. And if you can pay 15% on that 2 million instead of 35, 37%, 
That's a big, big deal. That's a four, $500,000 tax savings. Not a deduction, not a lowering of your income. That, that is a, a pure tax savings of, of almost half a million dollars in that example. So when you think about lowering your lifetime tax rate, gosh, if you're in those super high income years, it is really attractive to not take that income now and just delay it for, for a long time. And then you can realize that income in much lower tax brackets. Jared, I also want to bring up another issue here, and that is just financial planning wise. You always have to ask the question, what exactly is another 200,000 in income going to give me in life that I can't already buy? And you know, for most people that already have deferred comp, you're already in your house. You're not looking to buy your, your house. You've already bought your house. And so there's not necessarily some big item that if you have that income, your life is going to be magically better. So optimizing for taxes is pretty strategic there. Yeah, totally. There's, yeah, there's the life planning, like how much incremental value does the, the comp today add to your life? That's huge. But Justin, I want to talk, touch on another subject and really talk about how deferred comp touches the subject, like Roth conversions, right? Because philosophically, it accomplishes a lot of the same goals, right? From a lifetime tax rate pulling out of the higher tax brackets on the tail end of life due to high RMDs, uh, but, it, but it accomplishes it in a different spot of the timeline, right? Pulling pulling income out of your high earning years and, and pulling them in early retirement when you have little to no income, right? So it accomplishes a similar goal, but pulls assets from a different part of the timeline, right? So I think it's important to remind our listeners that like, I think there's a place for both. I wouldn't do this in lieu of Roth conversions, or I wouldn't do Roth conversions in lieu of deferred comp. I think a thoughtful, you know, a thoughtful lifetime tax plan will incorporate both of these ideas. Maybe instead of doing a 10-year annuity, you do a five-year annuity, right? Because you, and you pay a little more in taxes and in those five years afterwards, you, you do more aggressive Roth conversions, right? So instead of taking 10 years of credit risk, you kind of manage the credit risk and leave some income tax opportunity on the table. But, you know, knowing you have Roth conversions to take advantage of that, you don't feel as much pressure to fill up those, those zero income tax brackets for the first 10 years of retirement. Let's say if you, you know, if you retire at 60 and 70 RMDs and, Social Security kick in, you have a 10 year window, right? If five of those go to Roth conversions and five of those go to deferred comp payouts, that's a, that's a great way to fill up those buckets. And even entry year, you can probably do some of each of those. So, you know, at a high level, this doesn't replace Roth conversions. It's just another tool in the tool belt. And to what degree you should use it in your situation or not, uh, really, it depends and it's personal. But at a high level, we like both and see a place for both. Uh, and it's a really personal decision as to how much of each and when. If I could map out a dream scenario, but again, that's why financial planning is fun. You've got to consider what are you trying to, what's your ideal life? That's question number one. What life are you trying to live? Question number two is what should your investments look like? Number three might be retirement income. Both of those questions, investments and retirement income, risk is a big deal. So the credit profile of your company and their ability to stay solvent for the next 15 years is very relevant. And then taxes are also in there as well. Jared, let's let's share this in the show notes that we'll, we'll share a picture of just a timeline that maps out, you know, in your last five, 10 years with your company, you're typically making more money than you ever have. Those are usually when you're in a position that's eligible for deferred comp. So your timeline has really high income. And let's just say that goes to age 55, just to pick a round number. Uh, but then at 55, you retire. So then you have no income. 
but you're allowed to do deferred comp at some point, whether it's 55 or 60, 65, whenever you happen to retire, it could be really ideal to one, defer some income in those high income years, just like we've talked about. Throw that income into years when you're not gonna have any income. Uh, That is a six-figure big, big opportunity. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you have influence over your company's benefits, if you have a lot of employees that that do make over $400,000 a year, having a deferred comp plan would be a huge benefit. But let's go back to my ideal scenario. You retire, you were making a lot of money, now you're making no money. A perfect, beautiful scenario would be that you don't take deferred comp for a few years, if possible, if your plan allows that. If you can pause deferred comp for the first five years or so and do Roth conversions in the first five years of retirement and then take deferred comp in years six through 10 in retirement, that would probably be the most perfect, perfect plan to lower your lifetime tax rate. It would be absolutely incredible. It would map out with your war chest, with your retirement income, with lowering RMDs and planning out charitable contributions strategically along there as well. So many incredible planning things you can do if you if you kind of have a, a marriage between when to do Roth conversions, when to take deferred comp, and if your deferred comp plan allows you the flexibility to do this. Yeah. And you touched on something really important, Justin, like really talking about like opportunistically using the delay right? Delay almost has like a negative connotation to me, like implementing the five-year delay. Like that's a good planning philosophy thing. Like you can, you know, maybe have a lump sum or a two-year payout to manage your credit risk. And then, you know, two years before you retire, you can adjust it to a five-year, right? And then instead, you know, you're making a much more educated decision because your time horizon has shrunk because you've been working at the at, at the company for five years or more, right? So that delay could be a great way to kind of hedge, right? Where you say, hey, I'm going to take all my money early. I'm, I'm leaving upside uh, due to, you know, having income tax heavy in the first two years separating retirement. But at least I get to make an educated decision down the road about credit risk with the company. Um, and if you feel good, then you can, you know, change it to a five year. And then you, year six through 10 incomes covered, but year zero to five, you can be aggressive with with Roth conversion. So I don't necessarily think that change election is is a bad thing if it's used thoughtfully and appropriately. And like you already mentioned, you have to ask the question, credit risk, is it risky to delay another five or 10 years? That's right. That's right. Um, But then too, right? There's so many nuances with this because one of the things I said, mechanics, this is why the mechanics matter and why we covered them. If you make make a change election, you say, hey, I want to change it to a five year and then you get separated from a company due to layoffs or, you know, some economic cycle thing and, and you separate sooner than you know, you anticipated before your year change year before your deferred comp election has been memorialized, you're going to get all that income over two years. And you pretty much just kick the can down the road. Um, and you're going to, you know, those dollars are going to be similar to subject to a similar income tax profile. And then you didn't get the benefit of having them earlier. So there's so many nuances and considerations. So let's kind of, so that's high level, some of the planning opportunities. Let's pivot to common pitfalls that we've seen. We haven't seen a ton of these, but when we've been looking through them, we we have kind of noticed a, noticed a couple of trends and I'll cover the first one. So first one is duration mismatching, right? So going back to the mechanics, one of the things we talked about is you can invest these, which is an awesome thing if it's invested based on your time horizon, right? Like 
if you have an in-service paying out for a, a child's education, uh, and that's going to pay out in two years, that should not be in a hundred percent equity, right? How the, the time horizon of when you're going to touch these assets should govern how they're invested. So a lot of people will just, Hey, I'm going to invest it aggressively because I don't need it. But then they forget they have a deferred comp payment paying out as while they're employed and not considering that that has a drastically different time horizon, right? Because one of the things of being long-term investors, the only thing that compromises your ability to be a long-term investor is, you know, your stomach for liquidity and short-term cash needs. And so you need to match whatever, you know, if you're investing different buckets for different things, the investment profile of each of those buckets, if they're accomplishing different goals, should be different. And a lot of times people will just say, oh, it's all deferred comps, so I'm going to invest it all aggressively, or I'll invest it conservative. On the other end, you know, it's all conservative. Hey, I, I don't want to threaten my retirement. I'm not touching this money for 20 years, but it's all going to be in bonds. It's like, maybe that's not a good idea either. But either way, one of the planning mistakes we see is just people that are not we'll call it duration mismatching, just not connecting, you know, how the money's invested to the time horizon of that specific bucket. Absolutely. That's well put. Uh, Also state tax considerations. If you are earning money in Texas, but you're not from Texas and you're going to retire somewhere else that does have a state income tax, be aware of that. If you earn it in Texas, but it pays out in California, uh, you're going to have some serious uh, state income tax to be aware of. I think luckily the migration's heading, you know, the in, there's a lot more people migrating from California to Texas than Texas to California, but we have heard of it, right? And But there are more states that have income tax than there are that don't, right? So Texas is a, a minority, and we do have a decent amount of clients relocating to be by kids or closer to nature where, you know, they are going to have an income tax in retirement uh, from a state perspective. And, you know, it doesn't make or break deferred compensation. It's just another input to be considered. Other big planning mistake is long duration, right? Really just kind of understanding the bet you're making. Other common mistake, we we teased this out earlier, but deferring equity, we don't think it's a great use of capital, right? So, you know, if you think about oil and gas, right? One of the things we try to risk management is really high, right? And concentrated stock risk is something we see. So like basically you're you're guaranteeing future stock risk, right? Because there's not a lot of liquidity in terms of when you defer the equity, what happens to it? You, you don't have a lot of opportunity. You can't tax loss harvest it. You can't build a diversified portfolio around it. You just, you relinquish a lot of control. And, you know, if it reaches your price target or dips well below your pl- price target, there's not really much you can do. You give up a lot of flexibility and, and take on a lot of, a lot of downside. So deferring equity really doesn't make sense. Justin, what would you add to that? You're bringing up a topic that we've talked a lot about, and it is a can of worms that's really fun to dive into, and that is asset location. It's okay if you want to have some exposure in your company, but very, very different to have that exposure in a brokerage account where you can tax loss harvest it, do other things around it, uh, code it as a specific allocation in your greater portfolio. You can do a lot of things with that. So again, there's there's things that we like to hold in a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA or 401k versus a brokerage account versus a deferred comp plan. So allocating the right position in the right bucket or in the right plan is a really big deal in your financial plan. Definitely. It's yeah. So, you know, I guess deferring equity is better than deferring nothing, but it's just the, the risk return profile is not great. Right. And because a lot of these plans have investment options, you can still take advantage of long-term appreciation without having concentrated stock risk, right? So in more instances than not, we find 
deferring equity is a suboptimal outcome. But Justin, do you, any other common pitfalls or things that you know our, our listeners need to think of before we kind of wrap up? So great question. And I think we've hit on a lot of uh, key areas. So if we just zoom out and, and once again, just say, remember, your financial plan includes a lot of different aspects. And so make sure you're optimizing for what exactly do you want in life? What should your investments look like? What should your retirement income look like? What kind of risk should be associated with all of those? What are the tax opportunities to lower your lifetime tax rate? Having your having a pulse on all of those things is critical. Yeah. And that's the thing with deferred comp. We really talked about the numerical mechanics, but there's life optimization mechanics that can be considered. But, you know, as as you could see from the deep dive or not even the deep dive, just the first pass we just did, there's so much here. And your plan has specific nuances that we probably didn't have time to cover. Uh, if you have questions about your specific deferred comp plan, uh, let us know. We always love hearing from our listeners and getting ideas for new episodes. Uh, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.